whether their families have been here for generations or they just arrived in a U-Haul last week. Texans have stories to tell about the battles they have fought and the victories they have won to keep the Lone Star State the special place that it is. On the People of Texas podcast, we are joined by some of these Texas icons to share their stories. Here's your host, Sherry Sylvester. Welcome, Senator Creighton. It is great to have you with us today. I know you joined me this morning at the 1836 Commission. That's right. Where you are the vice chair. And you mentioned at the commission that your ancestor was present at Washington on the Brazos. Can you tell us about that? What's that story? That's right. Yeah. First, it's great to be here and thanks for the invitation. Uh, this is uh, an inaugural uh, podcast event, right? right? Yeah, right. one of the first. Uh, so this morning, uh, we had a great meeting for the 1836 project and the advisory committee. But uh, I, I did mention uh, my five five times great grandfather, Colonel Martin Palmer, mm -hmm. who chaired the uh, Constitutional Convention for Texas at Washington on the Brazos, uh, as the Alamo uh, was under siege and as the Travis letter was being penned and dispatched. And so uh, Colonel Palmer was um, a resident of Montgomery, mm -hmm. where I live just out of, outside of Montgomery now. And many generations of my family have been there. And so he's, he's a historic uh, figure, one of those characters that um, uh, helped to shape uh, Texas early on. Mm -hmm. And uh, he had a nickname that was called uh, the Ringtail Panther from the Fork in the Creek. <laughs> and there's a book, uh, you know, that's on Amazon mm -hmm. that's titled that. And uh, so he was, uh, uh, you know, just someone uh, that's within my heritage that my family's always talked about. And I've always had great respect for the fact that he served in that capacity. Yeah. So what did he do in Montgomery County? Was he a farmer or what was what did he do? He uh, he farmed uh, tobacco mm -hmm. and uh, and some cotton, but mm -hmm. mainly tobacco and and cattle as well. And he, you know, uh, his daughter Matilda uh, was my grandmother's great grandfather's uh, wife, mm -hmm. and so uh, that you know, from Daughters of the American Revolution to, uh, you know, the uh, involvement that, uh, you know, his son-in-law and grandson had riding with Terry's Texas Rangers in the war between the states. They were both in the Battle of Bowling Green mm -hmm. in Kentucky. And then his uh, grandson served as the first sheriff of Montgomery County uh, during Reconstruction mm -hmm. uh, at 21 years old. And, and so, and how did they get here? Where did they come from, Kentucky? Well, uh, there were yes, there there were. Uh, it was kind of a journey uh, mm -hmm. through uh, Kentucky and sometime in Tennessee, and they settled uh, originally just very briefly in Nacogdoches. Mm -hmm. Uh, he was, Colonel Palmer was part of the Fredonian Rebellion, which mm -hmm. was a very historic event that happened uh, in, uh, you know, in early Texas uh, prior to the Alamo. Mm -hmm. 
And then uh, following that rebellion um, event in East, and that, that was that took place in East Texas, he settled in Montgomery, which was a settlement at that time, and uh, essentially a pathway between uh, Travis and Bear County and all of the rest of Texas going west uh, as you took that journey into East Texas. Montgomery was, um, it's not so much anymore, but it's the edge of what we refer to as the big thicket. Mm -hmm. So the Pine Curtain and uh, that that edge right there of where East Texas begins, most people think it's, you know, just north of Houston and connected and certainly not part of of, uh, the big, thicket region but mm-hmm. it it is and was and that's that's why that settlement was located there uh, at a crossroads coming east west and right on the edge of that pine mm-hmm. curtain i read recently that uh, most of the early development of texas was actually in east texas even though a lot of the icons come out of west texas the whole cowboys open spaces tumbleweed kind of area mm-hmm. it's most out of east texas well that's 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 true for what you say about East Texas and the, the communities in and around Nacogdoches and other areas uh, throughout East Texas were uh, early settlement areas for, um, you know, those that traveled from all over uh, to end up and arrive in Texas, which, I'm, I'm you know, was Davy Crockett's, you know, eventual destination as well, mm-hmm. coming from Tennessee along later with other volunteers. So, uh, you know, they would have crossed that Sabine Natchez River and ended up in East Texas first. And so Sam Houston as well. So what did the letter say? Well, the letter was uh, to uh, his wife, my, Mm -hmm. you know, five times great grandmother about just um, notification of what was going on at the time at Washington on the Brazos with uh, developing the uh, Constitution itself for Texas and a, a great cause of alarm for what was happening around the state based on couriers um, bringing information in mm-hmm. to the, um, you know, to those that were on different committees that had assembled there to work on behalf of, uh, you know, making sure that Texas became a republic, uh, assuming Santa Ana's defeat and the Mexican army's defeat. So as Houston was raising, as Sam Houston was raising an army in Harrisburg in and around what we know to be Houston now, uh, we had our Texas founders assembled for uh, drafting of the constitution uh, while Travis held the line at uh, Bear County for uh, Santa Ana's, um, you know, uh, attempted takeover of mm-hmm. not just um, the garrison there, but of uh, doing anything they could to find Sam Houston and to crush any effort to recruit. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, we know how that turned out. So <laughs> we wh- do. <laughs> so what happened with your father, uh, your grandfather? Did he mm-hmm. continue to serve or? He did. He, he um, you, you know, after uh, Texas became its own nation, he continued to serve. Um, he uh, continued to uh, farm and ranch and, and raise cattle in the Montgomery area. And uh, as a, you know, he had uh, a, a, quite a large family. And so his 
many daughters. And so his son-in-laws became very involved in law enforcement, uh, riding with um, Texas Terry, uh, Terry's Texas Rangers and Company K, mm -hmm. uh, which was mainly made up of Texas Rangers across the state uh, in the Civil War. And then from there, uh, they held those that survived, held local offices and um, actually legislative offices uh, before me. Mm -hmm. So uh, his his uh, son-in-law and his grandson uh, served in the state house and in the state senate. Uh, the, the the individual that served in the state senate held the seat that I hold now, uh, 116 years ago. Wow, that's great. Yeah, I didn't I didn't talk about that too much through the campaign. Uh -huh. It's it's really um, when I first came into the Senate, it's it's really an interesting uh, story, and I'm very proud of it. Uh, certainly proud of my heritage. Uh, I'm just as proud uh, of those that that are planning on arriving in Texas tomorrow, mm -hmm. and to, to understand um, why they see Texas as as the fit for them and their family, because it's very hard to uproot and move, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, you change your patterns, your habits, uh, your school, your church, uh, your employment, um, your, your family members, those that you count on daily and uh, to, to, to move from one state to another. Uh, but it's very important to me to be a part of the purpose that's involved in creating uh, a, a future for Texas that uh, serves as an opportunity for liberty and freedom and prosperity and, and those words are thrown around a lot but but they really aren't cliche they're 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 fundamental to who we are as texans that was the way it was before the alamo certainly when we were our own nation uh it, it certainly is the case today and it's up to us to make sure it is tomorrow which brings us to the 1836 okay. uh project advisory committee which you authored the bill for that. And what what is your thinking on that? Because we've got, what, a thousand people come to Texas every day? That's right. Yeah, it's, um, you know, uh, following along with, with what we were just discussing, it's, it's uh, I'm very proud of, of um, what we were able to accomplish during the session. Uh, Representative Tan Parker uh, ha had the vision for that advisory committee to be established and the 1836 project to be established. And we worked together, House and Senate, uh, to make sure that it passed and uh, very thankful to the Lieutenant Governor for making it a priority. And, uh, you know, we found today uh, with who has been assembled to uh, take the next step on that effort, uh, some very talented individuals. It's mm -hmm. going to be exciting and it, it's going to it's, it's, it's going to be a, a blueprint for again, for those that are seeking opportunity and prosperity here in Texas uh, th that are part of the thousand a day that are moving here, they will have an opportunity as they uh, wait in line or, or, or wait for their Department of Public Safety driver's license to be printed, which by the way, is a very proud moment for, you know, I hear people tell me that all the time. They're so proud to have mm -hmm. a Texas driver's license. And so what we will do with this 1836 project is we'll provide historical references and perspective from stakeholders, um, a lot of information about our past and present and where we're headed in the future, what, what our goals are policy-wise and what we've accomplished to make sure Texas 
uh, stays uh, as, as we all know Texas to be, which is a very different place than the rest of the country. It is, it is. And you not only authored this legislation, but you also have championed monument preservation legislation in the last couple of sessions. And these are, this is controversial. Doesn't sound controversial when we're talking about it. Why do you think it is controversial and what kind of debates have you been? I've watched you debate this a few times. So yeah. what, what do you think's happening there? You know, it, it sparks a high emotion, Cherry, and it's fascinating to me uh, still today that it, that it does um, create those, those types of emotional responses. I mean, our, our legislation to protect historical monuments in Texas uh, it, it was uh, a bill that I carried uh, this session. We carried it last session in the 86th uh, for uh, which we passed off the Senate floor. Mm -hmm. And then prior to the 86th, uh, I had filed it in a special session. It's just, it's important to me that we protect our Texas history. Um, not all kids have the ability uh, to visit a muse museum in a downtown uh, big metropolitan district. And if they do, they may not have uh, what it takes to, to buy a ticket for admission or uh, to be, uh, have the luxury of having someone explain, you know, what they're looking at or what have you. But we have public parks all over Texas and university campuses and city and county uh, reference points where we have so much of our history that is displayed. And uh, those debates, uh, they, they took hours and hours and hours to get <laughs> to get through some of those explanations. But that legislation provides a common sense process for removing monuments if that's the public's will. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't an outright ban mm -hmm. on making sure that they would not be removed, uh, but it also made sure that it wouldn't uh, that these that, that our history would not be disappearing right in front of our eyes, good or bad, uh, based on the political whim of a new office holder that was on a city council or in a county commissioner position or, or whatever the case may be, a mayor. And, and we've been seeing that because Texas has led uh, the country over the past few years uh, in, um, in a category that I don't think we're very distinguished for, which is the, the pace at which historical monuments and references are disappearing and being removed. Well, why keep them, though? Why keep, I mean, we were on the, the losing side in the Civil War. Mm -hmm. uh, we we were uh, had lots of slaveholders that helped build the state. We've had uh, events happen here that are certainly not bright parts in our history. Why keep this stuff? Shouldn't we? Well, and, and I think it's a great question, and and, uh, and I'm glad you mentioned the Civil War because a lot of our monuments uh, around Texas are not Civil War related, mm -hmm. right? I mean, during the past uh, even uh, 36 months, we've seen attempts to uh, around the country to remove Washington, to remove Jefferson, to remove Lincoln. Mm -hmm. uh, we've had attempts... Um, to obviously to remove the Ten Commandment uh, monument, which, which we have on our, our state capitol grounds mm -hmm. campus and which our now Governor Abbott was, um, you know, widely covered in protecting when he was Attorney General for mm -hmm. Texas at, at the Supreme Court level. I just, uh, I, th I think it's important that, that we understand who we are and where we came from, how we've evolved as a society and as a state, and that 
uh, not only do we recognize that head on, uh, but we understand uh, that we will not, you know, truly know where we're going unless we know where we've been. Mm -hmm. uh, there's also sort of a reduction to the ridiculous on it, right? Because with Antifa and a lot of the, you know, very liberal left trying to tear down everything bronze uh, across the state of Texas and burning cities and just causing a lot of destruction. They went after Stevie Ray Vaughan's monument in Austin because they thought he was a pilgrim. <laughs> you know, I mean, it just should not be uh, chaos and an anarchy that's tearing down um, and melting down uh, our historical monuments in a way that uh, it disrespects our past and uh, discredits the fact that uh, no matter why they were erected, when they were erected, or, or no matter um, what the reference point in history is, we have a better way to explain them. Mm -hmm. uh, we can erect a General Grant next to a General Lee anywhere we need to in the state, which my bill allowed and funded, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of people don't realize that. Um, it's not about winners and losers, it's about the history involved and it's about what it tells our young people that if every time a political personality in any corner of the state of Texas finds that they have uh, a lesser of opinion of, of, of a historical reference that they can erase it, I, I just think that's egregious and it's un-Texan and it's uh, cowardly and we should have a process for deliberation on that, uh, and, that and Texans deserve it in a hearing with review mm -hmm. and with context. And uh, that's the way as Texans, we should handle our business. You know, I, I'll, I'll tell a story here. I live in San Antonio and, and around Fort San Houston, my family's military, as you know. And so every great general has been there. Eisenhower was there. Robert E. Lee was the first senior warden at the Episcopal Church where I attend, because when the army came in, they brought in the Episcopalians. And I remember thinking, well, I wonder if Grant was ever at Fort Sam Houston. But he was not, but he was actually stationed in Galveston. Hmm. And he tells a great story of having to go from Galveston to Fort Sam Houston to get the payroll. And uh, and he was traveling at night and he heard all these coyotes, which he had not heard. Before. This is Grant? This is Grant. Okay. So he, he heard all these coyotes at night and then he went back during the day and saw them and there weren't very many of them. And once he became president, he said that uh, he often said to uh, the Democrats, his opponents, he said that they were like coyotes. They made a lot of noise. But when you went to count them, they didn't have much impact. <laughs> well, that's great. So we do have huh. both Grant and Lee presences in Texas, and I probably yeah. should find out more about that. Well, and as Texans, we should uh, we should uh, foster that uh, historical reference mm -hmm. and uh, those comparisons, and and uh, and enjoy it. Uh, I I think it's absolutely horrible that the city of Dallas, in the middle of the night, took down the Robert E. Lee monument, uh, which. I don't know how many of those existed in America. I know there is one uh, just outside of Gettysburg mm -hmm. where he's on uh, his horse. Mm -hmm. And I just think that if, if my legislation would have passed, there was a tourism fund with funding already in it uh, for the maintenance of monuments where a grant, you, you know, 
equivalent could have been uh, erected in place right next to it. And what an amazing learning event, uh, you know, opportunity that that could have been for kids on field trips and, and others. I mean, you know, look, uh, put a big neon sign that says winner above General Grant anywhere he's located. Uh-huh. Uh, fine with me. But to take down our history, Saddam Hussein style, and melt it, uh, you know, or erase it or sell it, uh, it, it I, I just think it's, it's very, uh, very much beneath us as Texans. Yeah. Um, so are you going to pass that legislation next session? I plan to. What's, yeah. Is there something different or is there, do you think the thinking of Texans is changing on this or? Well, I, I think with, um, you, you know, different sessions, we have different priorities that sort of, um, that we come in with and we, we try to, you know, wrangle the session in a way as legislators where we're, you know, advancing on, uh, you know, the highest priorities of, of the street mm -hmm. coming from where any town, Texas into Austin to the Capitol. It may be COVID precautions. It may be, uh, you know, uh, grid reform, uh, you know, a list of, of issues. But many times the session takes a hold of us and different issues arise. Mm -hmm. And so with school finance and property tax, uh, with COVID, with uh, with grid reform and the budget and the border and many other things that we tackled this time around, uh, there, there just wasn't enough oxygen in the room. Mm -hmm. But I plan to t pick up the ball and run with it from where we were in the previous session where we did pass it off the Senate floor. Mm -hmm. And with 40 retirements in the House and five to seven in the Senate uh, as we speak, um, you know, I, I think there will be a new look at, at, uh, at what we had to offer. And I, I hope it, it picks up steam and some momentum and we go from there. You know, we've talked a lot about what makes Texas different and why we have this sense of being Texan. Mm -hmm. But I, I want you to focus in on something particularly that you know that other people don't. You served in both houses of the legislature. As we were saying before you came in, you serve in the Texas Senate. Mm -hmm. You represent almost a million people. There are fewer Texas senators than there are congressmen. Uh, it's uh, the most elite body in the state. Mm -hmm. The highest ranking members of the opposition party are in the Senate because there's no place else to go. What is the difference between that chamber and working in the House chamber, which is much more, uh, much more diverse, many more people, uh, lots noisier. <laughs> All the above. <laughs> um, you know the differences uh, are are vast. Uh, it is, uh, and and let me say, let me start out with saying I love my service in the House. Mm -hmm. uh, I served in the House for eight years, and it was just an incredible opportunity that, that I'll always cherish. And I asked to be sworn in to the Senate in the House chamber. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure, I was a messenger 32 years ago uh, in the Senate and uh, followed the Capitol for a long time and Texas politics and just uh, loved it. Worked for two different attorneys general and uh, I've just really enjoyed my uh, state service in the different capacities that I've been able to serve. But, you know, uh, what are the differences that the, the, the Senate is your family reunion the first 30 minutes that you're there. The House is your family reunion the last 30 minutes that you're there. <laughs> it is a highly emotional, um, incredibly uh, entertaining um, 
and deliberative uh, experience uh, just with 150 members, it's very different than the 31 in the Senate. And you have to uh, eat what you kill. You, mm -hmm. you have to earn every step. Right. Uh, you have to build coalitions. It's very easy to burn bridges. Uh, it, 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 is, uh, it, it is hour by hour work uh, to, to build them and to protect those bridges because you have tough days with every member uh, assuming that particular piece of legislation that might be the one out of 7,000 bills that are filed and who comes out where on who supports what and who opposes what. Mm -hmm. And you only have, based on your two-year term, a very limited time to go home and explain your conduct, to explain your actions, to explain your votes. Mm -hmm. Your district's very small and it's... Um, you're, 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 it's easy to grab you by the collar and say, you know, hey, Mr. House member, I'm very upset with you for the, for the decision you just made. In the Senate, outside of redistricting, we have four years to explain our actions. Mm -hmm. So that, by the very nature of that, um, you, you know, that, that, that structure, that framework, uh, the House is, it, it produces much more of an emotional response, and, and it should. That's why it's, that's why it is what it is, and that's why they're on a two-year term, and there are a bunch of them, and it's just, it's wonderful. It's it, mm -hmm. a couple of sessions ago, I remember there was a, a kind of a melee in the house when they were gaveling out Sonny Die, and the, the media, of course, did not notice that the Senate ended on a filibuster, two Democrats mm -hmm. filibustered against a Republican bill, mm -hmm. and uh, they... Uh, they prevailed because those were the rules, mm -hmm. and uh, and it couldn't have been more cordial. And the, every, about every other word from each senator was how much respect they had for the person they were had targeted. Yeah, in, in the Senate, it is. Uh, I mean, a lot of people say around Austin that that uh, you know senators are kind to each other because they have to be uh, because <laughs> they have a lot. Of, <laughs> they swing a big bat. And the Senate, basically, the entire Senate is a calendars committee, mm -hmm. and uh, they they have quite a bit of authority individually. They each can be a wrecking ball, uh, and of course that that causes uh, some uh, or organic civility among the members uh, to to. Uh, come together, but I, I have a different perspective on that. I, I think that uh, that there's quite a bit of chemistry in the Senate, in the caucus of the whole. Uh, it's, it's certainly different than Washington, where the aisle and the center does not divide us by party. Mm -hmm. So we have some very tough days, um, but most of the bills uh, that we pass have uh, some sort of bipartisan support, even though we have very spirited debates. And then, and then, you know, a few of them don't, but those that don't uh, are, are very, very big pieces of legislation often where there are drastic differences of opinion. And uh, I, I enjoy working with all of my colleagues in the Senate. It's very dif different than the House, but I very much enjoy it. Well, in the last two or three minutes that we have, I'd like you to reflect on where we started with your great-grandfather five times. Mm -hmm. What do you think he would think about the work that they put in at Washington on the Brazos to found this place we call Texas and where it is today with 30 million people, a global economic force? And I think through, you know, through reading his letters, um, I, I could tell that he felt like Texas was uh, just an incredible place that would be 
um, one of the most special places in, in, in the world. And they were fighting to be their own country at, at that time. And for 10 years they were. Uh, but for what Texas means to the world now, uh, and certainly to the country, uh, I, I think he'd be very proud of that. Uh, I think he'd be surprised at your 30 million reference and the, uh, the economic powerhouse that it is. Uh, but for risk takers and entrepreneurs and those with a backbone, uh, for, for those looking for opportunity and prosperity and a place to raise a family, uh, for uh, a style of government, uh, for principles that are conservative and that respect uh, individual rights and uh, private property, uh, all of these things that we cherish, uh, making decisions based on faith, I think you'd be extremely proud. So we started out with basically some ideals and principles that we haven't always lived up to, but we've always strived to live up to. That's right. It just gets better all the time. That's right. I mean, we have bedrock principles that, that uh, serve as our foundation and and as men and women, I mean, we succeed and we fail. Um, we make mistakes. We ask for forgiveness. We keep pushing forward for the pursuit of happiness that we're not guaranteed. Uh, but in Texas, we're revered all over the world, as we talked about this morning, for uh, our culture and our DNA and our alignment. And that, that is uh, very much uh, diverse in uh, those that find us and share that with us. Uh, and as I mentioned, being in line at the Alamo with a family from France in front of me and a family, family from Switzerland behind me, and both families were considering moving here. Uh, <laughs> you know, they, we just seem to be um, a, an incredible uh, symbol of, um, of values and um, uh, opportunity and a place where if you're going to take a risk and start something new, and certainly to raise a family uh, that uh, there, there's no comparison uh, in the nation for what we offer. And I hope to do my best to make sure that's protected going forward. Thank you for joining us on the People of Texas podcast. This podcast is produced by the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Check out our other podcasts at texaspolicy.com or your favorite streaming platform. Until next time, remember to keep Texas Texan.